Hello everyone and welcome to Uncensored. This is where I, Spencer, your host, talk about all the sports that have happened recently. Now I'm going to start off in the NFL where Juju Smith-Schuster and ex-teammate Antonio Brown had a little bit of Twitter beef. Antonio earlier today told his followers to keep their emotions off the internet. The tweet prompted a number of responses, especially from fans of his former team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Brown took particular exception to a response from a fan which reminded him that Juju Smith-Schuster, his ex-teammate, was named most valuable player for the season over him. He ended up tweeting after that emotion. Boy fumbled the whole postseason in the biggest game of the year. Everyone went blind to busy making guys famous not enough reality these days. Best way to check the list. Juju Smith-Schuster responded very quickly saying, keep your emotions off the internet, which was a tweet that Antonio already put that day, mocking him. And then he also responded with, all I ever did was show that man love and respect from the moment I got into the league. I was genuinely happy to see him go to Oakland and be traded and get a big contract. And now he takes shots at me on social media? He also said, crazy how big that ego got to be to take shots at people who show you love, shaking my head. And he also tweeted, shaking my head with the picture, never argue with a fool, onlookers may not be able to tell the difference, Mark Twain. So, obviously, Juju Schuster and Antonio Brown will not be sharing Christmas cards this year. That's very sad for Steelers fans. But I guess good news for Steelers fans is Ryan Shazier, one of their star linebackers who hurt his neck, Two seasons ago now, I believe, he uh, went for a tackle and he uh, compressed his neck with the hit and he had a very bad injury and he hasn't been able to play football for the past two seasons now. He uh, drafted their first player, announced their first draft pick last season and he could barely walk. And I, uh, there was a video posted today that showed him doing box jumps and it's not one of the smaller boxes. It's a pretty high jump. I'd say it's probably, what, two or three feet? And it's a, it's a pretty good jump. He was held at the waist just in case he missed, but it was a very good, very good form. And I think as uh, as a person who really likes Ryan Chazier, I I'm really happy to see him being able to you know uh, box jump and might be able to come back to football soon. Because he said that was his goal to come back to football, but at this point, I I think uh, he'd like to have a full life and be able to walk and be able to run and do all that kind of stuff but you know seeing him come back to football would be a, a really good help with the Steelers but I think it'd just be great great show uh, a great way to show resiliency and uh, passion and fight for a, a person who have a compressed neck and to be back in the NFL but also is the AAF football players because their league was suspended they have been able to be signed by the NFL teams. The Browns ended up signing quarterback from the Orlando Apollos, Garrett Gilbert. He played eight games, all eight games. He won. He went seven and one in those games. He threw two thousand one hundred and fifty-two yards with thirteen touchdowns and three picks. He will most likely be the backup to Baker Mayfield, and if Baker ends up having a couple bad games, he might be able to get some starts. The Panthers signed Rashad Ross. Wide receiver who played for the Arizona Hotshots. He had 36 catches for 583 yards with 7 touchdowns averaging out to about 16.2 yards per catch. The Chiefs also signed a player from the AAF, being the first team to sign a player. They signed Keith Razor, cornerback who played for the Orlando Apollos. He had 12 tackles, 10 pass deflections, and 3 picks, being ranked the best corner in all of the AAF. And those seem to be the only signees from the AAF so far, but I do see a bunch of others getting picked up as the AAF, of course, is now no longer with us. In the NBA, there was a... uh, 
thing said by Paul Pierce saying he was better than Dwayne Wade. And now I'm going to give you their stats to make let you decide. And what I'm going to do for both is because both of them have been on the decline a little bit, and Wade went to the Cavs and the Chicago for a little bit, I'm going to say their general stat numbers, and then I'm going to tell you their stat numbers with their respective teams. Like Paul Pierce will mostly be for Boston, so I'm going to get rid of the Clipper years, the Brooklyn year, and the Washington Wizard year. And I'm going to get rid of uh, the caviar and the uh, bull year for Dwayne Wade. But his career stats for every single team he played for was 22 points per game, 2 fouls per game, 3 turnovers a game, 0.8 blocks, 1.5 steals, 5.4 assists, and 4.7 rebounds. But just for the Heat, he had 22.7 points, he had 2.3 fouls, 3.3 turnovers with 0.9 blocks, 1.6 steals, 5.6 assists, and 4.7 rebounds. So very good stats there for Dwayne Wade. But now going over to Paul Pierce, his entire career stats are 19.7 points per game with 2.7 fouls per game and 2.6 turnovers per game with 0.6 blocks, 1.3 steals, 3.5 assists, and 5.6 rebounds per game. But just for the Boston Celtics, he had 21.8 points per game with 2.8 fouls, uh, 2.9 turnovers, 0.6 blocks, 1.4 steals, 3.9 assists, and 6 rebounds. So the stats do kind of lean to Dwayne Wade. But I don't think they're. I don't think it's really a fair, fair comparison due to Dwayne Wade playing more of the two, and Paul Pierce playing more of the three. But I mean, if Paul Pierce is going to make the bold claim it's better than Dwayne Wade, I would definitely be leaning more with those kind of numbers, be leaning more to uh, Dwayne Wade. But I mean, hey, it's up to you. I just gave you the numbers. I'll let you make your decision. And another big thing which I find absolutely laughable is the the Lakers' uh, top candidate at this point for the head coaching job if or when Walton is fired is Jawan Howard who is the assistant for the uh, Miami Heat I just see this as another Walton hire I mean I'd I'd wish they'd get a a good head coach or a a more experienced head coach Um, Walton wasn't a good hire I don't think Jawan Howard will be a good hire I rather them either a go to college and grab a coach from there and bring in a, a system from college that might work or B, which might be even more, is try to get somebody like Doc Rivers, who has to now rebuild the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, or uh, Tom Thibodeau. I know Tom Thibodeau has not been a great coach since he left Chicago, and he wasn't really, really wasn't great with Chicago, but I think his defensive system might help the Lakers with how good Alonzo uh, is defensively, and LeBron's not too bad defensively, and if he can teach Ingram how to play defense with how long he is, that'd be really helpful. Um... But, I mean, I don't think Jawan Howard's going to be the answer for a head coach. I just don't. I would, uh, I think LeBron would second that to say that he wants a head coach that's more seasoned. Not like a Luke Walton who uh, wasn't a good coach, isn't a good coach, and I think will get fired. I know right now he's still the head coach of the Lakers, but they missed in the playoffs. And I think uh, kind of sealed this fate as being uh, unemployed at the end of the season, but... I don't think Jawan Howard's the answer, and uh, I'm hoping they uh, do get end up getting a uh, a better coach than Jawan Howard or Luke Walton. But I mean, magic—it's all in Magic's corner at this point. 
who is the uh, GM. So, Magic, I hope you make the right decision because uh, LeBron doesn't have much time left, I don't think. I think he's probably got two or three years tops. So, I'd, uh, I'd get the head coach right, or at least try. At least try to get somebody seasoned. But, I mean, it's up to him if... Uh, he thinks Jawan Howard's the answer, and then he's going to get Jawan Howard in spite of anyone, anything we say. Now, skipping to the NHL, we're talking about the playoff picture. The playoffs start this coming Wednesday, so I'll be able to report on the games that night and all that good stuff on Wednesdays. So just an FYI, these podcasts are going to be Sundays and Wednesdays. This is my first Sunday. Last Wednesday, I did my first podcast. I'd love you to listen to that as well. But the playoff picture right now as we speak, which is set in stone, is... The Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Columbus Blue Jackets, which I think will be a good series. I don't see Colum- I don't see any way that Columbus will win this series. I'm not saying they can't because I think they've gotten a lot better, but I don't see Columbus winning this series. I do see it going five or six games because of the way the Columbus Blue Jackets loaded up by getting Dezingle and Duchesne at the deadline. But I, in the three appearances they played, in the three games they played, Tampa beat them in October 13th. 8-2, beat them January 8th, 4-0, and beat them February 18th, 5-1. So none of the games were close. They couldn't really get much goal scoring as Tampa destroyed them. But I think Tampa, Tampa didn't have a great end of the year. It still was really good, but it wasn't as good as the middle or the start of the year for them. So I think they might steal one. I think they might steal two, but I don't see it going past six games. So I'm going to say five-game win for Tampa, or as we call it, the gentleman's sweep. Now, the next series will be the Boston Bruins versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. I am a Bruins fan, so I have lots and lots of opinions on this series. Uh, I will start off with, I think this series could go seven games. I think if it's predicted to go seven games, I'm going to tell you who I like, but let's just say out, say out first. In the four appearances they played on November 10th, it was 5-1 win for Boston in Boston. Uh, November 26th, the Toronto Maple Leafs beat Boston 4-2 in Toronto. The Boston Bruins beat the Toronto Maple Leafs 6-3 on December 8th in Boston. And then Boston beat Toronto January 12th in Toronto 3-2. So it was a 3-1 split. Boston won three of them, one in Toronto, both in Boston. Only lost one in Toronto. But um, I do think this series could go either way. But I think uh, I'll go with the keys for each team because I really like both. The, I really like Boston, and I know a lot about the Leafs because I live in Canada. I live in Ontario, especially. So I think the keys in this series are Toronto's key. You want to score goals. There aren't they aren't great defensively, which is why when they played Boston, they only scored more than three goals once, which is the game they won four two. They scored one goal, they lost five one. They scored three goals, they lost six three, and they scored two goals and lost three two. So you gotta score more than three goals. I think if they can consistently score more than three goals on Boston, I think they're gonna win. I do, and that's just the the bottom line as a Bruins fan. So I think Boston's key is if they can keep the Leafs under three goals, if they can win games. 4-3-3-2-2-1-4-1 something like that Boston has every chance in the world to win this series but I think Toronto's going to win three games and I think all three games are going to be like 5-4-4-3-5-3-6-3 like they're going to be big scores because Toronto's so firepower in that offense when you because and I said this from when they started Tavares is they probably have the three best centers like th- like the top three lines three best centers in the NHL then you think about it, they got either Tavares or Matthews on the first line, and I think they can flip-flop, but I usually think it's Matthews and then Tavares, and then they got Kadri in the third line. And Kadri is a 
bad first-line center, a mediocre second-line center. He is a fantastic third-line center. He's a really good, he's a, he's a grindy player. He's a good playmaker. He's really good passing. But he's a grinder. He's really good going into corners. He's not scared to get hitting. He's not scared of fighting, which we saw last year when he, uh, uh, what was it, uh, boarded uh, Tommy Wingles, which I wasn't too impressed about. But um, So I guess Toronto's goal is to score four goals or three goals or more. So you want Tavares to have a good game. You want Nylander, Matthews, Hyman, Tavares, of course, uh, Marlowe. Marner, like, you know, you you really need your top nine or even top 12, even all four lines, because that fourth line is not great necessarily, but I do think they can chip in on, on the goal-scoring front. So if, if the Leafs can roll four lines and they can score from every single line, which I think they can, and I know they can, I think Toronto will steal th- I think they'll take three games, but I don't think it'll be close. Like, I don't think the games are going to be like 2-1 good defensive games. I think the games they're going to take are going to be three games, and they're going to be high-scoring. They're going to be like 6-5, 6-4, 5-4, 5-3, something like that. I think Boston will win four of them. I think it'll be a Boston win in seven. I think the four games Boston will win, I think they'll win 1-4-3, but I think the rest of them are going to be like 2-1, 2-0, 3-0, They're going to be lower scoring because Boston's key is to make sure that offense does not start up because if the Leafs start getting going, it's going to be really, really hard to stop that offense with having as much offensive power as the Leafs have. So I do see Boston winning it in seven, but it it would not surprise me if all of all the years the Leafs beat us in the first round, it'll be this year. But I also think it's going to be for desperation for the coaching, as I don't I don't know for sure, but I can take an educated guess that if Babcock does not beat the Bruins this year in the first round, I don't see him keeping his job next year. I just don't. I don't think they're going to be able to keep him. I don't think they're going to be able to uh, be able to. I don't think Dubas will be able to justify keeping Babcock if he doesn't get out of the first round and be Boston. So I think it'll be even more high stakes for the Leafs because I don't think Babcock wants to lose his job. So I think Babcock might even put more effort into it to make sure he doesn't lose to Boston again in the first round. Going into the next series, the Washington Capitals against the Carolina Hurricanes. In the four meetings they played, Washington won all four. They won the first meeting December 14th, 6-5 over Carolina in Carolina. They won December 27th. In Washington, 3-1. They won the March 26th in Washington, 4-1. And then they beat them again in Carolina on March 28th for 3-2. So it was a clean sweep in the regular season. I don't think it'll be a clean sweep in the playoffs. But, I mean, the Caps are really, really good. And I like Carolina's team. I like Sebastian Ajo. I like Peter Mrazek, as I said in the last episode. I really like Peter Mrazek. But I just don't. I even like Dougie Hamilton, the ex-Bruin. I like Dougie Hamilton, but I just don't see them being able to beat the Caps four games. I think it'll might go. I think it'll go six games, and I think the Caps will take it in six. So I think the Caps are beating the Carolina Hurricanes in six games. And the next series, and probably the most interesting series of all of them, is the New York Islanders against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Somehow, the New York Islanders are better without Tavares. I'm not sure they're better, but I definitely think they're better coached. As Barry Trotz is a really good coach, as he's shown, and they've been able to take a team we thought would be terrible because they were bad last year and they got rid of their best player or lost their best player. But they actually played really well, and they split the series, the season, 2-2. On October 30th, the Islanders won 6-3. On on November 1st, the Islanders won 3-2. The first meeting was in Pittsburgh. The second meeting was uh, was in Rhode Island, was in New York. December 6th, Pittsburgh won 6-2 in Pittsburgh, and then December 10th, Pittsburgh beat the Islanders 2-1 in New York. So, I think this series will be really close. I think this game, this series will go to 7, and I I think I gotta make a decision here quick, because 
I like both teams. I think Trotz is really good. Trotz just won the Stanley Cup last year with the cap with the Caps. So I mean, he's got the experience to win the Stanley Cup. He's got the experience, but Pittsburgh's got such a good roster. You think about it, Malkin, Crosby. So I think I'm gonna have to take. I'm gonna go with the Islanders. I think Robin Lehner will steal him a game, maybe two. I think Matt Murray might get hurt, which definitely won't help them. Because no offense to DeSmith, but I don't think he's as good as Matt Murray. So I'm gonna take the Islanders in seven. So that's my prediction. So I'm gonna take Tampa in five, Boston in seven, Caps in six. Islanders in seven. Going over to the West, we've got the Dallas Stars versus the Nashville Predators in their five matchups. Hefty there. The Nashville Predators beat them three out of the five times. They beat them in the first meeting on November 10th, beating beating them in Dallas 5-4. Then Dallas won in Dallas won on December 27th, beat Nashville 2-0 two, two in Nashville, then beat them February 2nd. In Nashville, 3-1. Then Nashville beat Dallas in Nashville on February 7th, 3-2. And then Nashville beat them in Dallas again on February 19th, 5-3. So Dallas got in as a wild card. And of course, Nashville clinched their second straight Central Division. So I like both teams. Of course, I like Dallas as they have ex-Brew and Tyler Sagan. And I like Jamie Benn. And I don't mind Radulov. I think he's pretty good. I like their first line. I also like Valerie Nichushkin if he can turn it on. I also like uh, Klingberg. I also like Big Ben Bishop. But uh, no offense to Dallas. But I don't think they can be able to compete with Nashville. Uh, of course, I don't think it'll be a sweep. But I think Nashville will be able to dispatch of them pretty quickly. I think it'll probably be five or six games. I'm going to go with... I'm gonna go with six i'm gonna go with six games for nashville and nashville's gonna get away with it next up in the west we have the winnipeg jets versus the st louis blues in the four games they played winnipeg won three of the four they won october 4th in st louis at 5-1 they won in winnipeg 5-4 on october 22nd they won on 8-4 in st louis on november 24th but then on december 7th st louis won in winnipeg won nothing i think the major problem with the three games they played before, that was before Jordan Bennington came to the team and started playing really, really well. If Jordan Bennington will be the X Factor. I think if Jordan Bennington can play in the playoffs like he did during the regular season, I think the Blues will beat the Jets. I genuinely do because Patrick Line has had his goal problems. Maybe Fortnite. I don't, I don't really want to get into that, but he's, have, he's having goal problems. Shifley has been a little bit uh, injury prone at this point. Blake Wheeler's getting a little older, so is Bufflin. Bufflin was hurt quite a bit this year. Connor Hellbuck's kind of come down with a sophomore slump. So, I think the St. Louis Blues will win it, but I do think it'll be really, really close. So, I'm taking the implication that Jordan Bennington can continue his run of dominance. I think it'll be a seven-game win for the St. Louis Blues, and they'll be going on to the second round. Now on to the best team in the West, the Calgary Flames against the Colorado Avalanche. The, Col- the Colorado Avalanche just snuck into the playoffs after having a really big dip there after their really good start there with uh, Ranton and McKinnon and Landeskog line kind of coming off the, uh, kind of coming down there a little bit. They played three times. Calgary won all three. October 13th, Calgary won 3-2 in Colorado. November 1st, Calgary won 6-5 in Calgary. And on January 9th, Calgary won 5-3. So Calgary won all of the games. I don't see it being any different. I do think this game, this series will probably go five games because I think that Landis Gog, Rantanen, 
Uh, McKinnon line will steal one game and then one really good game where they score like four points each, couple and score goals. You know, I think it'll be like a 4-3 win for Colorado, but they're all going to get the points. I think it'll be a five-game five five game series, and I think Calgary will win it in five. That's my prediction for that. And the last, but not certainly not least, I think this might be one of the best series, is the San Jose Sharks versus the Vegas Golden Knights. They played four times during the regular season. They split the season series. November 24th, Vegas won 6-0 in Vegas. Then again in Vegas, uh, uh, the next time in Vegas, San Jose won it 3-2 in Vegas. January 10th, on March 18th, Vegas won in San Jose 7-3. And then on March 30th, San Jose beat Vegas 4-3 in San Jose. One of them won at home, then one of them won away, and then they lost the second. So I think this series will go seven games. I think this series will be really, really close. And if I had to pick somebody, I think the Sharks will take it. I think the Sharks are going to take it, implying that Eric Carlson plays well coming off that injury, because I know he took a lot, of, a lot of time off. He only played, I think, the final two or three games to get back in game shape. But if if Carlson can come back and really hit his stride, kind of like a passer did after he was hurt, because he had one really bad game. The game he came back, he didn't play well. I know I watched the game. He didn't play well when he came back from injury. But after he came back from injury, the day after, I think he scored two goals or scored a goal. He got something, got a goal. So I think if Carlson can get back to form, I think the Sharks will take it in seven. So that's my predictions. So the West will be Nashville in five, the St. Louis Blues in seven, Calgary in five, the San Jose Sharks in seven, and then we'll take a total of Tampa in five, Boston in seven, the Caps in six, the Islanders in seven, the Preds in five, the Blues in seven, the Flames in five, and the Sharks in seven. I don't have a single sweep on my list. That might get me in some trouble if somebody gets swept, which I mean, it could happen. I mean, the Jackets might could get swept. I mean, Carolina could get swept. Dallas could get swept. I mean, the Avalanche could get swept, but I honestly don't think any team's going to get swept. I think all these teams are somewhat evenly matched, and I think there's I think there's certain things that could happen in a game that could steal one for the other team, like Colorado having that really, really good first line. I think they'll steal a game, and I think the Jackets have floating at the deadline. I think Duchesne might have a goal, or Duzingo might have a goal that steals them a game. Uh, I think Carolina with Aho and uh, Dougie, I think Aho might steal one. You know what I mean? Uh even Jordan Stahl might steal one, you know, third line, second line center might steal, might steal one. Sveshnikov might get a really good goal because I know Sveshnikov kind of turned it on at the uh, end of the year. So like there's, there's certain things in it, I think in a seven game series where I think one game, something will happen and uh, they'll get away with it. So I don't think it'll be a sweep in the first round and that will be my prediction. But another thing that happened uh, today is the, uh, care, uh, the Florida Panthers were granted uh, permission to talk to Joel Quinville, the ex-coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, to interview for their head coaching job, which means Quinville might become the new coach of the Florida Panthers, but I think it'll be a really, really cool uh, coaching job for him. Uh, the, the Panthers haven't been very good. They haven't been good since they got rid of uh, Gerard Gallant, who went to uh, Vegas, and has been really good there. So I think if Quinville can come in and really get his system into those guys, and they have some really good players like Barkov, who's kind of like a, uh, a 2.0 of tapes. Really, really good defensive center. Can win faceoffs. Really good score. He's an, he's an 82-point guy who's really good defensively and really big. So I think he may be Taves 2.0. So, I mean, uh, you also got Huberto, who I really like. You have Ekblad, who's a little injury-prone. I think he can. I think if he can turn the page, I think he'll be really, really good. So I really think Quinn will be a really good hire for the Panthers. They'll finally have another really, really good coach. And uh, I can't wait to uh, hear if he gets the job or not. 
Now jumping into the NCAA in the men's. Uh, of course, now we're at the national championship. Now we have the final two in the Virginia Cavaliers and the uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders. I predicted Virginia to win and I projected Michigan State to win, but I did say Auburn would cover the spread, cover the five and a half, and they did. It was a one-point win for Virginia, 63-62. And I did say that Tech could win it if Tech came out shooting. I lied. It wasn't their really good shooting, even though um, Mooney, who was their top scorer at 22 points and shot really well, he had a couple really, really, really big threes. One was, I think, a 25 or 26-footer. He, he was not close to that line, and he hit it. So, Texas Tech played really good defense, and now it's Virginia Cavaliers against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. So, I predicted one of these teams to be here. I predicted one of these teams not to be here, but I said maybe they could do it. So, who am I taking in the final between the Red Raiders and the Cavaliers? I'm calling the upset. I think that the Texas Tech Red Raiders will take it. They're saying a point and a half for uh, Virginia. They're favoring Virginia by a point and a half. I would take Texas Tech. If I was a betting man, which I am, I just legally can't bet yet, I would take the Texas Tech Red Raiders over Virginia. I think it's going to be the upset. I actually uh, had a, a, a wager with one of my uh, one of my teachers. Uh, it wasn't like gambling or anything. It's just a wager, friendly wager, about Texas Tech versus Michigan State. And uh, I watched the game, and it was really, really good defense by Texas Tech. Um, and I, th- I think it shows their depth when Justin uh, Jarrett Culvert, who is their best player, didn't have a good game. He shot, I think it was like 0 for 7 or 0 for 6 for his first 7 shots. He shot really, really bad in that first half. And the second half, he came back and he he made a, a he made a, a good runner. I can't remember his second made, but he made his first shot. Her first shot made was a runner he got, which was a difficult shot. And then his second make, or his third make, and his most important make was a uh, a three after a uh, dribble move. He went... Uh, he stepped forward, through the legs, pull up from dead center three, bang. It went 55-51 to 58-51. And if anyone wanted to call a dagger, Jared Culvert having a bad game hit the dagger. And uh, no, their, their big contributor was Mooney, hit 22 points. He had a really good shoot night. He, he shot 8 for 16, 2 for 2 from the free throw line. It was 4 for 8 for th- from 3. So very, very good three day from him another guy who surprised me um was terquin owens he hurt his ankle in the game game he came out in the middle of the second half but um before that he was really really good he had seven points and four rebounds which sounds a little underwhelming but he played really really good defensively because he's a 610 power forward he's really really good defensively in the paint he had three blocks and two of them were really really big one of them was off the glass and one of them he just destroyed out of play so he was a really good player. I hope he's healthy for um, the next game because he came back. I think a couple minutes. He came back like three or four minutes after his injury, but he played only um, like maybe 30, 30 seconds to a minute. And his coach pulled him off again because he didn't look sharp. He didn't look good. He really wasn't as quick as he was before, of course, because he injured his ankle. But I hope he's healthy for the national championship because again, I think one of those things where like even if he isn't healthy, healthy like a hundred percent, I still think he's gonna play because it's the national championship. It's kind of like the Super Bowl. Like it doesn't matter if you're like a hundred percent healthy or not. You're playing in the Super Bowl, so uh, I'd like to see him play again. But I do think the Texas Tech Red Raiders will beat Virginia, and that's my prediction. Now going into the women's final, the women's um, I predicted one of the sides right again, so I was one for one from the girls and one for one for the boys. Baylor ended up beating the or uh, beating or the Oregon Ducks. It was seventy two sixty seven in favor of Baylor. And then I predicted Notre Dame to beat Connecticut or UConn, and they did 81-76. 
So now it is a Baylor Bears Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and they're actually playing as we speak at 7:01 p.m. As I'm talking, the Baylor Bears are right now up on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. 43-31. So, I, of course, know I can't make my prediction as the game has already started. So, now it would be a little unfair to say that Baylor's going to win. The Natty isn't. Baylor's up by 12 points already going into the third quarter. Right now, they're at half because the girls play 8-minute quarters at 4 quarters instead of the men playing 20-minute 2 halves. So, right now, they're going into the third quarter. I don't know exactly where they are in half, but right now, they're at half. 43-31, as I said. Uh, it's in Tampa. Baylor from Texas, Notre Dame is from Indiana. So Baylor's, I guess, if you want to say they have home court, they have home court. But uh, it seems to be Baylor had a really good first quarter, outscoring them 25-14 to in the first quarter, even at a little bit in the second quarter, 18-17, in favor of Baylor. But uh, it seems to be that Baylor might upset uh, Notre Dame. But um, I don't think Notre Dame's out of it yet. I think Notre Dame might be able to stage a comeback. But uh, at this particular point in time, it looks like Baylor might... Uh, might pull out the uh, national championship for the women's. Now we're going into the English Premier League, or the EPL. On the 5th of April, which was Friday, Liverpool Football Club beat Southampton 3-1. The goals were from Shane Long, scored first in the ninth minute for Southampton, putting them up 1-0, but then Nevi Keita scored for Liverpool in the 36th. Then Mo Salah scored in the 80th, and then the 86th, Jordan Henderson scored, making it the 3-1 final. Yesterday, or Saturday, April 6th, Burnley beat uh, Bournemouth 3-1. The goals were scored by, it was an own goal on uh, Barnes for Burnley. It was 1-0 Bournemouth. Then uh, Wood scored in the 18th minute. Westwood scored in the 20th minute, making it 2-1 Burnley. And then the 86th, Barn got a uh, redemption on his own goal, scoring in the 86th, making it the 3-1 final. Leicester City destroyed um, Huddersfield Town, who's now for sure going down. They've been going down for a little bit now, but they're still rock bottom. Uh, Yori Tilleman scored for Le- uh, Leicester, making it 1-0 in the 24th. Then Barty scored in, this, uh, in the 48th, making it 2-0 Leicester. And a penalty kick goal for Mui uh, for Huddersfield in this 52nd minute made it 2-1, but then James Madison scored a uh, free kick, I believe, making it 3-1, and then Jimmy Vardy from its own penalty kick made it 4-1, and that was the final. And then in Newcastle versus Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace won 1-0, the only goal being by um, Milinkovic and the penalty kick in the 81st minute. And then today, Everton beat Arsenal 1-0. The goal was scored in the 10th minute by uh, Jagielka, making it uh, a 1-0 victory for Everton. And I'm going to go to the table, as first is Liverpool on 33 games played with 82 points. Second is Manchester City with 32 games played, 80 points. Third is Tottenham with 32 games played, 64 points. Arsenal is fourth with er, with 32 games played, 63 points. Chelsea is fifth with 32 games played, 63 points. And might I add, Tottenham has 32, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I said 62, but he has 32 games played. Manchester United is 6th, 32 games played, 61 points. 7th is Leicester City with 33 games played, 47 points. Fulverhampton's 8th, 32 games played, 47 points. 9th is Everton, 33 games played, 46 points. 10th is Watford, 32 games played, 46 points. And then 11 through 20, I'm going to skip as uh, 11th, which is West Ham United, is 4 points behind uh, Watford. 
So the top 10 was Liverpool, in this order is Liverpool, Manchester City, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, United, Leicester, Wolverhampton, Everton, and Watford. Now going into the Champions League and my final topic for the day, and the Champions League will start um, this Tuesday, so I'll get to report on that, and then Wednesday is other games, so on Wednesday I'll be bringing up the um, Tuesday games and then the Wednesday games, which will most likely be done by the time I start recording. On Tuesday, Liverpool plays Porto at 3 o'clock, Tottenham plays against Manchester City at 3 o'clock, and then on Wednesday, United plays against Barcelona, and Ajax plays against Juventus. And then the next Tuesday will be games, and I'll bring those up next Sunday, or actually I'll probably bring them up Wednesday. So, that is everything, guys. I really hope you enjoyed, and hopefully you stay tuned till Sunday when I bring up my next podcast. Everyone have a nice day.